Well, I'm going to jump into our talk, uh, and what we're doing is uh, over a series of weeks, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, and um, one of the first Gospels chronologically to actually get written down. I, I love reading through the Gospel of Mark. You can read through it in like you know just like an hour or so, one afternoon. It's really interesting to see the quick pace in the Gospel of Mark. It was written to a primarily Roman audience. Uh, to convey that Jesus' crucifixion was not an accident. It was actually planned all the way along. And uh, I, I like reading through Mark. It's immediacy. It's quick pace. Today, if you read through the Gospel of Mark, if somebody wrote it down, it would probably be more like a graphic novel because the thing just happens so quickly. And Mark has very little commentary. In fact, the only real commentary is in the first verse. Other than that, he's just telling us what happened. In the first verse, he writes that this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so what Mark is doing here, even in this first verse, is he's referencing the beginning of the Bible, and he's highlighting how this good news is actually the fulfillment of the whole Hebrew story. It's the fulfillment of all of the scriptures, that everything has been pointing towards this good news, really the best news ever, how God himself has shown up as the long-awaited Messiah, the King, in the person of Jesus from Nazareth. And then right after Mark tells us that, he tells us what Jesus is up to. He's announcing, and then he's demonstrating this kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the fact that God's power and presence is now at hand. It's within reach. It's within grasp. God's power and presence is available to all the humans and then he invites some disciples to learn from him, and, and, and he sends them out to demonstrate and to announce over and over and over again what this rule and reign of God really looks like in real lives. And we see that people are healed, they're set free from all kinds of bondage, their lives are changed. What we see is a picture of when heaven comes to earth. When God himself comes to earth, these are the kinds of things that he does among the humans, and it attracts crazy crowds. So we're going to read about some of that today, some of the crazy crowds that got attracted to Jesus and the kinds of things that he did and the kind of person he was kind of amongst those crowds. And, uh, and, and so that's where we're at today. It's Mark chapter 6. If you have a Bible, why don't you pull it out? There's some in the rack of the chair there in front of you, uh, in person, online. Grab your Bible, Mark chapter 6 and ours. It's on page 686. And uh, today it, it, it picks up, the story picks up just after Jesus had, had taught and then sent out the 12, and now they're returning back um, full of excitement. And um, it had been really their first solo trip out to do ministry to announce and demonstrate the kingdom without him. And, and this is the thing that Mark says happened next. Uh, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves on a boat to a solitary place. (laughs) Verse 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already very late. 
send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, it would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give them something to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Dude, this is a crazy scene, isn't it? The returning disciples, let's just kind of recount this for a second. The returning disciples are pretty excited at what they've done. And because of the relentless crowds, Jesus says, let's get away for some rest. Can I just, I just hit pause here for a second. Rest is really healthy. We live in a society that does not value rest. We do. And I love the way that we just see like the real Jesus in a real life talking about rest. We live in an overworked and pretty stressed out world. And the person who actually takes rest, like real Sabbath seriously, is an anomaly in our culture. It's like, it's like totally, like, just try it sometime. Try setting aside 24 hours where you actually rest. And I don't mean like look at screens for 24 hours. I don't mean binging. I don't mean me time. I don't mean like just, you know, veg out time. I'm talking about actually really good rest. By the way, have you noticed when you just do me time or you just do like veg out time or you just binge like, like uh, what's your favorite show? Like uh, all of that, like in one day. Do you notice how at the end of that, how you feel? It's kind of like when you eat way too much sugar and you're like, oh, that was kind of fun for like two minutes. And then all of a sudden your body begins to shut down because you haven't actually given it what Our souls need the exact same kind of thing. Real rest, honestly, real biblical Sabbath is about ceasing. It's about stopping from your work so that you can connect to the one whose work really does make a difference. It's about connecting to God. And we can't do that when we're just stressed out all the time. Real Sabbath is about deeply connecting to the one who is your provider, who provides way more then your work can actually provide for yourself. And so it's uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenetic activity that consumes our lives. Here's the deal. If you're actually unable to take a break and rest, you're also unable, and I say this with all affection, honestly I do, you're unable then to connect to the one whose activity really matters in your life. Let me say that again. If you're unable to actually take a break from all of our different screens and all of our different things, if you're unable to take a break, you're also unable to connect to the one whose activity in your life really matters the most. It's vital for who God made us. It's why it's the fourth commandment. It's why God did it himself as an example for us in creation. Right? Prayer 
is like this love relationship with God. It's not just a list of petitions. It's not just a checklist. These are not ideas that God's giving us. These are behaviors that he's giving us. And at some point, as a follower of Jesus, you have to surrender to the one who made you and how he made you to operate. That's what Sabbath is. It's about saying, God, I'm not in control of time. You are, and you're in control of all of my life. And I love the way that Mark shows us that Jesus' little Sabbath plan with the disciples did not work. Like real life pressed into this. Mark records what really happened, right? Again, the gospel of Mark is not kind of some puffed up fantasy. It's like what really happened. And I know how you and I might respond in a similar situation. You're like, okay, we're going to get away. We're going to get a little rest. The crowds haven't even given them time to eat. And they land, and then all the people are there. Like, you guys know one another. You know me. We'd go all Gordon Ramsay on them. Wouldn't we? I mean, what the are you guys doing here? Like, you know, flipping out. Like, get away from me. I don't need you guys anymore. We'd go running back onto the boat and just sit in the middle of the lake or something. And I love the way that Jesus is filled with deep human compassion for this crowd. I mean, it's the first thing that Mark says about him. He sees the crowd, and he's filled with compassion for them. Sheep without a shepherd is a regular biblical way of describing the people of Israel who had no leader, they had no king, they had, because of their lack of leadership, they are scattered and they are pressed and they become like food for wild animals. The sheep without a shepherd uh, phrase and, and, and the harassed and helpless, um, the, the phrase harassed and helpless that appears in Matthew chapter 9 in this very same kind of thing is actually like uh, the idea of being sliced down from stem to stern and thrown to the ground so hard you can't get up. And so when Jesus sees the crowd, he goes, oh, these folks are so sad. They got no place to go. No. He sees them as absolutely beaten down and tormented by the enemy of their souls the one that he's been healing them from and delivering them from. And so he sees them in a totally different way than like when you and I walk through our neighborhoods and we see people who are far from Jesus. We just think, you know, they're probably doing just fine. I know they don't have a relationship with Jesus, but dude, they got a boat. Right? They got a bigger garage than I do. They got a way better snowblower. They're probably doing just fine. Jesus sees the crowd as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he's filled with compassion for them. The disciples have a plan. Like they got a plan. They want to send everyone away. Right? When they see what's going on after Jesus has taught for a while, let's send them all away. Right? It's not a bad plan, honestly. There's no big bakeries. There's no Wonder Bread factory just down the road. Like All the cooking is done like at a community oven. All the cooking is done in homes. Where there are bakeries, they don't have, they don't have the kind of bakery that could feed 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Historians say there were somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people there. There's no way to feed them. The disciples realize that, and so they have a plan. Seriously, we'd have trouble feeding this crowd today. If a crowd showed up here at the Vineyard Duluth and they hung around like all day, 15 to 20,000 people, there's not a single sandwich shop that could handle them. Like all the sandwich shops in town would have trouble if we just said, hey, we need dinner for 20,000. Could you deliver that by, I don't know, like 6.30? Like you can call every restaurant and you're gonna have a hard time with that. The disciples' plan is actually not a bad plan. Send them away, right? Clearly, 
Jesus doesn't have a clue how to feed a crowd this size. Man, that is such a key thought right there. I wonder how often, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, I wonder how often you're like following Jesus through life, doing what you feel like he's asking you to do, following the direction he's asking you to follow, and all of a sudden you get yourself into a situation where the thing he's asking you to do seems like the most ridiculous thing in the world. You feed them. Like, come on, God. Clearly, you have no idea how to feed a crowd this size. How many times have you said to God, like in your own prayer life, in your own situation, clearly, God, you have no idea what it feels like to be single. Clearly, God, you have no idea what it feels like to like look for work. Clearly, Lord, you have no idea what it feels like to live through a global pandemic. What's the new word? Endemic. Never ending. Clearly, God, you don't know what this is like. I wonder how often we talk to him in that kind of a way. I don't know, just a thought. Probably you never. I know I do, but, you know, that's just me. And then Jesus asks the disciples to take responsibility to feed them. Man, something way too big for them. Something that when you look at your own resources, you could never accomplish in a million years. Like when you look at your own resources, you could never do that. Do you know that that's a completely normal experience of following Christ? That God asks you to do something that with your own resources, you can't accomplish. That's actually like normal. I would go as far as to say, that's actually what it means to follow Jesus is that you're going to get invited to do things. You're going to get invited to say yes to things that when you look at what you're bringing to the table, it ain't nearly enough. That's normal following Jesus. Because, you see, here's the deal. If we can accomplish whatever he's inviting us to do with our own resources, we don't need him. So one of my prayers, honestly, for pretty much all my adult life has been this. And it's kind of a dangerous prayer but I like to live on the wild side. It goes like this. Lord, keep me in a place where I'm totally, completely dependent on you. Lord Jesus, would you keep me in a place where I am 100% dependent on you? For a while, so you guys might think public speaking is like a thing that uh, Michael Gatlin loves to do because I do it like all the time, right? And I can, I can remember multiple times getting invited to do stuff. I remember one of my very first things I got invited to do um, uh, as, as just a young man kind of following Jesus and being involved in church stuff. I got in, invited to uh, say the message at a wedding. I wasn't old enough and I wasn't like a, you know, a pastor so they didn't let me like actually do the officiating. Like hereby you're married, go kiss somebody, goodbye, right? They didn't let me do that part, obviously for good reason. Um, but they wanted me to give the message. And I remember that morning getting up going, oh God, oh God, oh God, why did I say yes? The friend, a couple were friends of mine, but I'm like gonna be speaking to this crowd of like two, 300 people at a wedding. Everybody's all dressed up. I don't like getting dressed up and you just feel uncomfortable. And I remember I, I just thought I gotta distract myself. I'm gonna go to Menards for the morning. And I just, I didn't have anything to buy, but I was just, you know, I was walking through Menards. I think I picked out like two two by fours in a trash can because I needed something to go to the checkout counter with. And I remember thinking, this is what it feels like to be on a runaway train that's headed for a really sharp corner and everybody's going to die. 
I mean, that's, that's the thought that came to my mind. And then over the years, I felt like the Lord over time said, Michael, every time you get asked to speak somewhere, you don't need to pray about it anymore. Your answer is yes. I'm like, what the heck are you trying to do to me? Like, I get nervous. There's been multiple times where I get invited to speak someplace, and my knees start shaking so much that my pants are, like, vibrating like this. And I'm like, like, honestly, like, just being at home alone in a watercolor studio is so peaceful, and it's so good. And you're an artist, so you drink a little bit of wine, and you paint all day, and it's just, like, fun, right? And, like, why do I have to do this stuff? Have you guys ever felt like God is just invite you into wait? But then you say yes to it. You're dependent on him. And he shows up and he does stuff. I don't know what he's inviting you to do. Maybe it's to pray for a neighbor. Maybe it's just to go build a relationship with somebody. Maybe it's to feed that hungry person that you drive by. To actually just go buy the food and give it to them. It always feels like it's out of your comfort zone so that you're dependent on him, so that you need him. He doesn't invite us into what we can handle. He invites us into what he can handle and what he can do. And so he goes, go see what you got. Like, what do you got? And they come up with uh, five small loaves, a couple of fish, you know, and a couple of the stories. By the way, all four gospel writers record this miracle. It's the only one that they all four record. That tells you it left a mark on these dudes. Like, it left a mark on their soul when they saw this and realized what was going on. And so in a couple of the ones, what we discovered that they found is basically one boy's lunch, five small loaves of bread, and a couple of fish that were probably maybe a foot long at the biggest, right? And I'm sure they're bringing him to Jesus going, see, this is what's there, send him away. And Jesus is saying, sweet, now we got something we can work with. It's kind of like just like turning the water in the wine. He doesn't do it from nothing. He does it from what we bring to the table. And he prays for it, he blesses it, and he breaks it out, and he gives it to them. There's 12 disciples. He breaks that meal into 12 little pieces. Like, when do you think the meal multiplied? Think about it for a second. When do you think it actually multiplied? Do you think Jesus prayed for it and blessed it and then all of a sudden there was this huge pile and they brought dump trucks and backed it up and then moved it out to the crowds? It's never worked that way for me. It's like I picture these five small loaves and two fish broken up among like 12 men. And these are guys that work with their hands. Their hands are like bigger and stronger than mine, right? And, and then he sends them out to feed you know, I don't know, the people, right? So you got basically one-sixth of a piece of fish and less than half of a small loaf of bread. And I just kind of picture Peter. They got a sixth of a fish. This is a boy's lunch broken into 12 pieces and less than half of a loaf of bread, and he sends you out to the crowd. I would pick the smallest crowd that I could find that was really close. Like they said, they broke him into crowds of 50 to 100. I would try to find the crowd that had like 47, right? I'd be looking around, I'd be moving towards it going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, what the heck am I doing here? And then what do you do? You go to the first person and go, so take a little bit and pass it on, Right? And then imagine, as you're breaking off a little bit, you're passing that around, and all of a sudden you realize, I've got the same amount. I go to the next group. 
take a little bit, pass it on. And by the time they get done and everybody's eaten their fill, there's 12 baskets full of leftovers. There's enough food for the whole next day, maybe the whole next week for each of the disciples. It's amazing how when we take the little bit that God's given to us, no matter what that is. Uh, So for you, what might God be inviting you to bring that you think this isn't enough to make a difference at all? What might he be inviting you to bring relationally to those around you? And you feel like, I can hardly make it through the day on my own. I don't think we get to experience the abundance that God has for us, honestly, unless we're willing to engage and actually share and give some of that away. Am I making some sense? I wish that we were in a small group right now. Because if we're in a small group right now, by the way, small groups of the vineyard are amazing because that's where you get to do this thing right here. So what's the thing right now, the first thing coming to your mind that God is saying, you know, I've been talking to you about sharing this for a while. This is your invitation. Like, what's that thing for you? I would just encourage you, jot it down. Open the notes app on your phone. Or jot it down on a piece of paper or something. Don't just try to remember it. Because people remember very little of what I say. <laughs> or so the scientists tell me. I think you remember everything, but you know, well, what do they know about brain science? Like, jot it down for a minute. What's the thing that God is saying? Listen, that's actually enough. The thing that you don't think adds up is actually enough. God's kingdom is combined here with overflowing love and unexplainable power. It's not just a matter of power. It's a matter also of this overflowing love. And these two things always go together. When you plan according to your resources, you're going to miss out. You'll never have enough to do what God's inviting you to do. And at times, the, thing he, the stuff he invites us into seems so totally irrelevant, right? Like, like, you give them something to eat. Yeah, right. I got nothing here. God takes our little, and he actually makes it much. And so what we do is we want to learn to see what God's doing in our midst, the gifts that he's given us, the things he's given us, and we want to use those to bless our community. The Vineyard Church is not like a huge, gigantic community in the Twin Ports when you look at the whole picture, but what could God do through the disciples of Jesus at the Vineyard Church as we begin to engage the culture of the Twin Ports with some of the real issues facing the Twin Ports, utilizing whatever little loaves and fish he's given to us. How could we address issues of racial tension? How could we address issues of homelessness? How could we address issues of sexual abuse? Honestly, you guys, I think we could address them all really effectively in lots of different ways if we actually begin to engage Don't wait for the organization to engage. We engage. I used to ask this question a lot at the Vineyard, and I I haven't for a number of years, and so let me just kind of remind us who the church is. The church is not the building. The church is not the staff. The church is not like the elders or the youngers. The church is who? Yeah. We are the church. So when I say, who's the church, then you say, we are. Ready? One, two, three. Who's the church? 
Who, who, who's the church? If you're online, you can just type it out, all of you, right now. Type it out online. We are. Just fill up the chat. Right? It's like, we are. We're the church. And so God's asking us, hey, what do you have? There's these issues facing our brothers and sisters in this community. What do you have? Go show me what you have. And as you bring that before him, he'll say, oh, finally, something I can work with. Let's go. And it's fascinating when he does that. And then when you do that, there's always storms. <laughs> Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Pay attention here. This is fascinating. So shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Do you ever read this stuff and think, what? But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Oh, man. Jesus is now free to be alone with the Father. Remember that rest time? He takes some rest now. No more crowds. Everyone's fed. He sends the disciples on ahead of him to go across the lake. Time alone with God is vital to our well-being our, 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 our relationship with God like, is the key thing that we're invited into. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays, and he said that he wants, his father, I want them to know this. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. The life that Jesus has invited us into is found in actually knowing, experientially knowing God. One of, uh, uh, for a while when I was in a Baptist Bible college, I went to an Episcopal church, uh, frankly because they served wine for communion and the messages were 15 minutes. And I remember Father Rick Campbell said this, he said, service is the overflow of a life spent in the presence of God. The things that we do is an overflow of a life spent in God's presence. I've always loved that. Uh, Phil Strout, National Director of the Vineyard, says it differently. He says that our service is a result of overflow, not overwork. And it's the overflow of a life spent in God's presence. If you feel like you have nothing to give, spend more time in God's presence. And that will overflow in your life in lots of different ways. You'll never be able to share with others what you don't have, right? So Jesus sees the disciples straining at the oars because the wind's against them and they have to row and row hard. The Sea of Galilee is huge. The fourth watch of the night is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So clearly, these guys have strained all night to cross the sea. And so Jesus, just before dawn, starts walking across the lake and he's about to pass them by. Like, do you ever read that stuff and go, what the heck is going on here? He's just going to walk right by him like he's taking a shortcut. Like, oh, doop, 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 doop. The wind's not bothering him. And it's not like Duluth at this time of year where the water's frozen, okay? 
Walking across the water is like a whole different thing. They see him, they don't believe that it's actually him, and they are freaking terrified. Listen, when you encounter the supernatural, we're so used to living in the natural world. When you encounter anything that's supernatural, it literally will freak you out. It honestly will. So this past week, I don't know if you guys remember, last week we advertised learning to pray like Jesus class. Let me tell you, you wish you were there. Um, Whoever was going to teach it uh, was uh, out with COVID, and so I got tagged to teach it, and I'm like, sweet, I love to teach this class. And so Becca and I went to teach this class, and we had like five or six from our community and about uh, a dozen guys from Teen Challenge show up. And so we're just teaching how Jesus heals people and all that stuff. We're going through all the stuff. I'm asking God the whole night for like a, a, a specific like prophetic word for something that God wants to heal because I like to pray for people and see stuff happen, especially when you're teaching a class. Like it's really embarrassing to pray for people and nothing happens. And so like, I was like, yeah, but sometimes that's the way it goes, right? And so I'm feeling a little pressure. I'm doing all this stuff. And, um, and so at one point, I just ask, when I get to the end of all the teaching, I ask, is there anybody here who has physical pain right now that really hurts? And one guy about my age in, in the front row, uh, one of the Teen Challenge gentlemen, just raised his hand and said, oh, I do. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, that's the first thing that goes through my mind, like, oh, no. This is probably a really hard case. I don't know. Does anybody have like a tiny headache maybe, <laughs> you know? I'm just being honest. Like this is the kind of stuff that you go through, right? And, um, and I go, sweet, who else? <laughs> right? And four or five people raise their hand. I feel like the Lord says really clearly in, in, in my head, and I, like, I didn't hear any words, but I felt like God said, go back to that guy. And so I go, what's your name? And he goes, my name's Will. And I go, what's going on? He goes, my knees have been horrible. I was in construction work for like 40 years. My knees are just shot. And in a moment of just like, like, what could I lose? It's not like I'm going to die if nothing happens. I go, Will, come on up here. Uh, can we pray for you? And I, I, as we begin to pray, as I'm saying, Holy Spirit, come, I reach down and I touch both of Will's knees. And immediately, Becca could hear it. There's a pop, pop, pop. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, God's doing something here. Or his knees just fell apart. <laughs> But he's still standing. There's a guy sitting, uh, one of the folks from our community here is sitting kind of behind him and Will was starting to wobble, Weebles wobble, but Will didn't fall down. And, uh, but you could tell the guy was like, what do I do if he falls over? And, uh, and we begin to pray. And so then I'd asked him as I began to pray, I'm actually teaching you how to do this as I'm telling you the story, so take notes if you want. Um, I asked him, I go, on a scale of one to 10, how bad do your knees hurt? And 10 being, and he goes, eight. Like, okay. And so I pray for just, I don't know, it was like 60, 90 seconds, something like that. And then I ask him how he feels, move him around a little bit. He goes, oh man, they're, they're like at a four. Like, they're, oh, like, they haven't hurt this lad in a long time. I go, well, let's keep praying. And so I prayed a little bit more. By the time we got done, um, Will was just weeping. He was crying. And he's walking around going like this. Because in about two minutes of prayer, he goes, my knees don't hurt at all. Like, they don't hurt at all. And I'm thinking, really? Were you faking it before? Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, when the supernatural happens, it kind of freaks us out. And then we'll just start sobbing. And so I give Will a, you know, a hug. I know it's COVID. We got our masks on. I give Will a hug. 
and just begin to pray about God's love in Will's life. That when God shows up this way, he shows up this way because he really loves us. And then I release the rest of the class. Do the same thing. Just pray for one another. Ask what's going on in one another's lives. Pray for them. Practice this seven-word question that really will change your life. Can I pray for you right now? Can I pray for you right now? If you ever see anybody who's not feeling well, you ask them that question and just pray. And as I, as I told the class, one of three things is bound to happen. Either they're healed on the spot, or they get a little bit better, or nothing happens. I guarantee one of those three things will happen when you pray for people, right? And if nothing happens, people feel love that you at least took a risk and you tried. And a whole bunch of the time, it's like God shows up and actually does cool stuff. And so, um, I forget, I was talking about something in my message when I got off on that story. And I talked in the story so long, my... My iPad shut down, and, um, oh, the supernatural is shocking. So for these the disciples are just like us. They're common folks. They're going about their business. Listen, people don't walk on water unless it's frozen. So when Jesus shows up this way, like, they're terrified. Uh, in, in the Greek, they're crying out in agony and overwhelming fear. But this is the real Jesus who transcends real nature He made it. He's the one that created all of it. He knows how it works. So be careful, be careful to not whittle God down to something that you're comfortable with and that you think you can easily understand. He is so much bigger than that. And he's so much more powerful. And he's with us even in the middle of the storms. And then my next point here, right in the middle of it all, we're still clueless and a bit fearful. I love the way it says in verse 51, 52, they're completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Listen, as you step out and obeying God along the way, you're going to see God do things that only God can do. And you're going to interpret it in various ways when you do. When you see God doing stuff that only he can do, it's too easy to explain based on our worldview, the way that we look at the world, it's too easy to just explain him out of the picture. And as we try to explain Jesus away, we whittle him down to a manageable size. We cram God into this little box of what we think should work. And as we do that, our hearts become more and more callous to what God is doing right in our midst. And even so, look how gracious he is with them. He says to them, take courage. Don't be afraid. It's me. And then instead of walking right on past him like he was planning to do, he climbs into the boat with them. And the storm calms down. And I have found that God does that in my life no matter how callous my heart is over and over and over. There's so much they don't know. They missed that the the feeding of the 5,000 was like the new exodus. That Jesus is leading them to, uh, to him as the bread of life. The thing that we celebrate in communion here. They don't know that the provision that he has for them because he's always going to be with them. I find that I have to guard my heart continually so it doesn't get calloused. And so do you. And when we try to explain God out of the picture and all these cool little things he's doing in our lives, our our hearts become more and more calloused. And then lastly, Mark 35, I mean Mark 6, 35. uh, When they had crossed over, they landed at Gesenart and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region, carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. 
And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So Mark is summarizing Jesus' amazing ministry. And it's all about this announcing and demonstrating that the kingdom of God is present in the king, it's Jesus. And his teaching, his healing are unlike anything that's gone on before. People are being fed physically, they're being fed spiritually, mentally. When the kingdom of God comes, it does actually meet all of our needs. And God is beginning in Jesus to restoring all creation. We read in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes again, he will make everything new. It will climax one day even with the resurrection of our bodies, right? And the same ministry and the same kinds of opportunities are before us today, if you think about it. We are surrounded by people who need relationship with God. His authority is given to you and I to do the works of the kingdom. His spirit is poured out on us to equip us, to enable us to, in, to do that authority. And the only faith necessary is the simple faith to just simply try it. That's all that's needed. Like if you want to interact with God in a really personal way right now, it just takes enough faith to actually walk up and get some prayer. It just takes enough faith to ask the person next to you, would you pray for me right now? If you want to experience God's kingdom coming through you, it just takes enough faith to just ask the question, can I pray for you right now? And then tentatively, like bumblingly, like I did with Will's knees, go, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you do what only you can do? I can't do this. The thing that we bring to the table is our willingness. That's our like five loaves and two fish. And so as the body of Christ, as the Vineyard Church in Duluth, I'm challenging you to be willing and to actually take risks, to receive prayer, to give prayer, to participate with the king bringing his kingdom. Why don't you guys stand up? So if you're on the ministry team, just come right up here in the front right now. Worship team's gonna make their way on stage. Just come right up in the front right now if you're on the ministry team. If you regularly pray for people, one of small group leaders, just make your way right up here to the front right now. And there's, I guess in a room this size, especially in the winter in Duluth, there's some of us that are struggling uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So, like, honestly, it's probably all of us to some shape or form, right? I'm inviting you to come up and get some prayer right now. Just make your way up here right now and say, you know what? I want to experience the love and the touch of Jesus in my life. And so don't have to wait for any special kind of, you know, hocus-pocus music or anything like that. I'm just inviting you to come get some prayer right now. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us with just enough courage to take the littlest, tiniest risk to actually come get some prayer? If you're online, there's a little prayer button. Like, have your left hand drag your right hand over and click on it. If you're in the room, just come forward. We want to pray for you. I believe God wants to meet you. And that's all the faith you need. And here's the deal. All of us are struggling through something right now. Whether it's, uh, 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 whether it's our own physical stuff or, the, or our own emotional or, or, or mental 
stuff or whether it's somebody who's close to us that their struggle is actually causing us some pain. It doesn't matter what it is. I believe God wants to meet you in that. And it just takes enough faith to reach out. I love this passage at the end of Matthew chapter, at the end of Mark 6 here that we just read, that everybody, they just brought all the sick people to the marketplace. I bet that we're in the marketplace for a day or two. But everybody who could just touch him actually experienced that. I think it's the same today. God wants to meet you. And for some of us, it's going to be like Will. Like his knees were like just healed. And it'll overwhelm you with God's love. And for others of us, it's going to be different. But unless you're willing to raise your hand and say, my knees hurt, I'll take prayer. And unless you're willing to actually step out and pray, you don't get to see much happen. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Some of us need courage for some of the big problems in our lives in the Twin Ports that he wants us to put our shoulder to. For some of you, there are some bigger issues that he wants you to put your shoulder to, to lean into. And you need courage for that. And actually, you need him to open some doors for that. Let us pray for you. Lord, we welcome your presence here. We thank you. Would you give us the courage to respond in faith? In Christ's name. All right, these guys are going to lead us in worship. Come get some ministry. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming to the vineyard today.